On today's episode, we have Emily Stanwick. She is a mother, a wife, a birth doula, birth educator, and one of the leaders in Birth Fit, which is a program that is with CrossFit that educates women on understanding how to prepare their bodies for pregnancy and postpartum. She talks all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and some crazy statistics to help you become more educated on how you can advocate for yourself during pregnancy in a conventional medicine setting, and also why home births may be something to start considering all of the positives, all of the statistics, all of the data, just like we like. Emily is great on today's podcast. We can't wait for you to listen. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators, and this is The Food Code. Welcome to The Food Code. I am so excited for our guest today. We have Emily Stanwick, and I followed Emily on Instagram. Um, very strangely, I found her because one of my best friends in college went to high school with Leah Barto. And that is how I think I like got connected in terms of the IG world, because she reposts your stuff. Um, and I love Leah's stuff. She is She's hilarious. She's so like, speak your mind, and she knows her mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and then BirthFit, obviously, I've known BirthFit for a long time being in the CrossFit community. So Emily is a doula and a birth expert, and I am so excited for her to talk today on birth in modern world right now and how it has turned into something I don't think it should be. So Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience, say what you do, how you got into it, give us a rundown. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. And um, I love talking about this stuff. So yeah, I'm here for it all. Um, I got started. Well, I'm a doula, like you said, I'm also a trainer. Um, So I have been training people for like nine years now, like officially, Um, but I've been in the CrossFit world since about 2009. Um, and I, that's when I started CrossFit and I started like very consistently in 2011. And then I met Lindsay Matthews who started BirthFit and cause we worked out together. And one day I heard her say, Oh, I'm going to go train some pregnant women. See ya. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, at that time I was kind of like, okay, getting serious about wanting to be a trainer. This was like in 2011. And, um, I just then from then on, just kind of like listened to her, asked questions, uh, when the gym that we worked at together finally opened, cause we were training in the park. And then when we opened a full, full on gym, she would bring the women there. And so I got to watch and kind of like observe and just learn from her. And I was like, I want to do this. Like, I love training people, but like, I want to be around pregnancy and babies. I love it. I love it all. (laughs) Always have loved pregnancy and babies and always knew I wanted to be a mom. And I was like, wait, this is so cool. I can be a trainer and like get regular people fit, but also work with moms. Like that's amazing. And, and then in about 2014, she was like, you should be a doula. And I was like, what's that? And she said, it is for lack of a better description. The way she described it to me at the time was like, you're like a birth coach. So you are 
going into the delivery room or the birth center or to people's homes, and you are coaching them through labor, you are non-medical, you're really there for support, for partner support, birth education, you know, you're, you're basically like mothering the parents, you know, you're mothering your clients and your client and their husband or partner. Um, and I was like, well, that's amazing. I can go to births without going to medical school. Like that is so cool. I've always said since I was a kid, you know, if I liked school, I'd go to <laughs> medical school and be an OBGYN, but I freaking hate school. Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> what a blessing in disguise. Cause I'm so glad I did not go the Western medicine route. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I learned what a doula was and became a doula in the fall of 2014. And it was just a weekend long seminar. And I got a piece of paper that was like, you're a doula now. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, like, what do I do? Like, I have no idea what this, what this, you know, role entails really. Like I learned a lot this past weekend, but like, how do I do this? So l- luckily I had Lindsay, you know, to basically mentor me through my early days as a doula. And my very first birth was a hospital birth of a friend of mine. Shoot. She was like an acquaintance of mine. We weren't good friends. And, um, that was my first exposure to like, Whoa, like this is kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. And I just remember bits and pieces, but I, and I can't remember if she was induced but basically she was pushing for a really, really, really long time. I want to say it was like over two hours. And you know, when you're pushing um, or you've seen women push, they might be like, I can't do this. Like make it stop. You know, they'll just say things in the heat of the moment, but it's just, it's just emotions coming out in the form of words. It's not necessarily uh, factual information, whatever. So she says like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Right. So she's saying that her husband goes, she's dying, like screaming, freaking out. We need a horse. And, you know, I think it was more chaotic in memory than it was in real life, but they were very, very freaked out. And, and I was just like, and of course, you know, the response is intervention, intervention, intervention. Mm -hmm. And now in hindsight, a C-section, I think was appropriate because they found out she had a split uterus, which is like really rare. Have you guys heard of this? No. Some women's uterus is like a heart shape, not a triangle shape. Hmm. So the top leg goes in anyway, hindsight, you know, it was the right call for some reason that hindered the baby from coming out, like whatever, but it was just, it was chaotic. I don't believe it was a traumatic experience for her, but for me, I was like, Oh, I am not comfortable in this setting. Like, I don't like this. And of course, I had no freaking idea what I was doing. It's my very first birth. I'm like just there being like, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And um and at my doula training, and maybe I don't remember like exactly where I had the like moment where I was where I realized that people birth outside of hospitals. Like, I don't remember the moment I heard that, you know, in my adult life, like that home birth is, you know, a thing. And I was just like, Oh, like that sounds amazing. Yeah. And so I just, I never really like, it wasn't this, you know, 
turn your life upside down moment of like considering a home birth. I was just like, yes, I want to do that because I don't like hospitals personally. Um, so yeah, so over the years I did more and more births, learning more and more. And it was funny because in LA, which is where I used to live, it's a very holistic place on one hand. People are very into their nutrition, very into their superfoods, you know, very into yoga and the ocean and surfing and all the things to, and meditation and, you know, all that stuff. Right. But I had never been to a home birth until my birth and I didn't give birth till 2018. So I had four years of being a doula and everyone I talked to gave birth in a hospital and everyone I worked with gave birth in a hospital. It was surprising to me that for such a healthy quote unquote city and for such a progressive city and such a, you know, uh, holistic place, why was everybody giving birth in a hospital? And like, I would ask myself, like, why don't you want to do it out of a hospital? Oh, well, you know, just in case anything goes wrong, you know, just to be safe. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> you like, no, no medical, anything, no Western medicine, like guru of Santa Monica. And, but you're going to St. John's and Santa Monica. Like, why are you going to the hospital? Like, that makes no sense to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I realized like, we have, you know, 99% of women in America give birth in hospitals. It's just, it's just a condition we have in mm-hmm. society. It's what you do. It's what you do. Yeah. So I really gained a lot more perspective when I gave birth. And it was cool because my birth was my first home birth. Mm-hmm. So that was a really long answer as to what I do. But that's, that's kind amazing. of my journey as a doula. And then now I'm like birth education. I actually started a doula training course um, in January of this year. And I teach it twice a year. And I want to, well, we can talk more about that, but yeah, so I teach that I do my birth education. I obviously am a doula now, and I really feel like it is my calling to encourage and advocate for out of hospital care. And part of me is like, are you just convincing women? (laughs) Like, are you like manipulating them? And I, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, I really, like, I really encourage women who find me, oh, you found me for a reason. So let's talk about this. Like, why are you giving birth in a hospital? Yeah. And I ask hard questions to these women. And um, I, I've only done out of hospital care since we moved to Texas. Actually, I had one hospital birth. Um, and it's been amazing because it's like really just deconditioning women. And that is what I really feel like my role as a birth worker is now. Yeah. Advocating for the safety out of, out of the system. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your beliefs around, you know, pregnancy and birth that it should be female centric and it's not, it is like I was listening to a podcast that you did a couple of them uh, this week. And, you know, you were talking about intervention requires more intervention than that ring. So true to me, as I shared, you know, a little bit before we started recording, but share just, you know, your views on that and what you've seen in terms of all of those hospital births that you initially did in the, you know, just traditional Western medicine? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's a great question. Like if you think about it, we didn't get here because of medicine necessarily. Our ancestors gave birth outside of the hospital 
with women around them. Mm -hmm. They did not give birth in a sterile environment. And this is obviously, you know, past 150 years ago or a hundred, really a hundred years ago. <coughs> um, so it's it, on one hand, a miracle that we're all here. How did we get here without medicine? <laughs> I so mean, crazy. The statistics alone show it like right? how much the death rate of mothers and babies has gone up and mm -hmm. all of like, it, it's not just everyone thinks medicine has been for the better. And I think Correct. birth is a perfect example of that not being perfect. the case. Perfect example. I'm going to pull up some statistics real quick. But every time I went to a hospital, I was just like, and I've said this on other podcasts, like I don't believe that doctors are inherently bad, malintended, want to hurt people or harm people. And I believe the same with nurses. Are there some who are overworked, underpaid, and don't really care? Of course. Are there some who are amazing gems and make hospital births wonderful experiences? Absolutely. Mostly everyone in between is kind of just going through the motions, having as good of bedside manner, manner as they can. And they're just kind of like, you check in, we admit you, get the baby out somehow, see you in six weeks. Yeah. And it's like, that's what we've come to expect as like normal and good care. And I just, that's just not normal. That's just not normal. First of all, like I said before, how did we get here without medicine? If our ancestors made it for however long you believe we've been around long, 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 long time up until a hundred years ago without medicine, uh, I, got, I ask questions. Yeah. And things necessarily haven't gotten better. Um, have fewer people died um, due to medicine overall? Sure. Did lots of people die in childbirth back in the day? Sure. They still do though. You know, um, I, I really think that, and I'm going to go back to your answer about female centered, but like what's changed for the better in most regards is just like sanitation. Like that's where we've kind of, I think that's a huge reason why, you know, human lifespans are longer, but that's a whole nother podcast. But anyway, <laughs> when you think about birth, like women are designed to give birth. If they weren't, women wouldn't carry babies. Right. So if we just think back to, you know, ancestral days of a baby's in your body. How do you know? Okay. Well, I didn't have my period. My bleed didn't come this month and then it's still not coming. My boobs are getting bigger. I'm feeling different things. And you just have this intuition that there's a baby inside me. There's no ultrasound. We're not checking the heartbeat. We're not doing any of that. There was that didn't exist. Right. So you just go about your life either knowing or not knowing that you're pregnant for some time. And then obviously figuring it out eventually when you start showing and you don't have a 20 week scan. You don't have genetic screens. You don't, you know, test your blood. You don't check for gestational diabetes. You don't check for uh, group B strep. You don't do anything. You just be pregnant. You just are. Okay. And I have to believe on some level, there was much less fear around birth before medicine existed. And here's why I believe that. 
if you think about, you know, tribal days, I hate, I hate saying that, but like you, before modern history, like women saw birth, women saw babies being born. They were around it. They probably saw it from the time they were little girls growing up, you know, because birth happened in the home. Studying the history of childbirth in America is really interesting um, because the timeline really is like a hundred years ago from now as to when things really switched it in the hospital. And I'm, I don't want to like give you the timeline because I don't have it perfectly memorized, but before that, before that happened, most of birth was in the home. Midwives were very common. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course they were like, people didn't go to hospitals, you know, maybe you had the community doctor, but like that wasn't for birth, you know, because birth wasn't seen as a disease or an ailment or an illness to fix. It was like, yeah, the baby's going to come out, you know, and then there's going to be a baby, you know? So I have to believe there was much less fear because women saw it more. It was, you know, and they saw, the intensity that women went through, maybe the noise, the yelling, the, the, the long lengths of time, maybe the short, super fast ones. And just like the variations of normal of birth, like were just much more seen among women. So when it was my time back in the day to give birth, I wasn't, you know, maybe there were like human nature fears of like, that looked really intense when I saw my friend go through that. But it wasn't this like, I need something out there to help what's going on in my body. It was just, it's just, that's what I believe, right? So then we introduce medicine and this coincides with feminism and the rise of feminism. And I like to believe I am like a original feminist. Like I am for women. I want you know, I want women to feel like they are worthy. You know, that's the best way I can put it. You know, I don't, I don't like to say equal because we're not equal to men. We are different than men. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm down for women feeling worthy, right? Well, then what happens is men, doctors say, hey, we can take your pain away. And it's the introduction of a lot of advancements in medicine around that time, which promised to take pain away. And of course, back at, you know, I understand why you'd be like, hell yeah, that's cool. Like I want to try the new cool thing. Right. And then it just becomes standard of care. And we really went so far away from what birth was forever before that time to this new stand- medicalized standard of care, like seemingly overnight in the grand scheme of things. And what has happened is that women, at least like in our generation and our parents' generation, so the boomers and millennials and then beyond, I'm assuming you guys are around my age. Yes. Um, I don't know for sure. Um, But we have just completely lost touch with the inherent nature of what it means to be a female. And that that is to give birth. So Mm -hmm. like, we think we need help, but we don't, we're meant to do it. Yeah. Is it scary? Yeah, of course. It's also really empowering though. I'm sure. Extremely. You know, like I've had, I've had, I will say I've had epidurals on both my births 
And, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. And both my births were totally fine. Um, Taylor came out a little quick. The poor thing was bruised all over mm. for like, a, yeah. A, she looked literally she like a different race. <laughs> she looked like a different oh. race. She oh. for like a week and a half. Um, I was like, who is this child? Uh, but you know, it's. I told Emily when I was talking to her prior to this podcast, I was like, I almost want to have another birth to experience home birth and to experience what it would have like, because I just didn't know any better. And that's why we wanted to have her on to help inform Mm -hmm. what I think a lot of people just don't know. You just don't know the other options. You don't know. And like, so we just don't naturally think this is what my body is meant to do. We're told this is a high risk situation. This is something that needs to be like, we are given the impression, like you said, that fear, the fear of there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Totally. Like that, you know, and that's just, oh, it, it irks me, you know, now that I think back on it all and how we see OBGYNs, unfortunately, as like these birth and pregnancy experts. Yes. And I, I don't think that's completely true. I think that that's kind of far from the you truth. You are correct. Um, they are experts in medicalized birth. Yeah. They are not experts in physiologic childbirth, yeah. meaning just leaving the body alone childbirth. Yeah. They are medical experts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. With procedures. They are surgical experts. So they are yes. sur- essentially, they're surgeons. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are surgeons. To an extent. <laughs> like that is... Yeah. So when people like our clients come to us that are pregnant and are saying, you know, the doctor recommended I like maybe don't take magnesium or I, you know, like different, Mm. you know, just different things that are very safe and actually recommended for a lot of pregnancies Um, and like diet recommendations and all these things. It's just that's not what they're taught. And I don't think that it's even at least the, the clients that I have currently that are pregnant. There's no discussion around nutrition, only about weight gain. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, can we all agree? We, I've only had one pregnancy. You've had two. You've had three. Every single person gains weight <laughs> differently. And yes. in different pregnancies, it looks totally different. For some people, it comes on quicker. Some people, it's delayed. Anyways, I digress. So there's nothing besides looking at the weight and how much weight you've gained, right? Mm-hmm. I just had a conversation with one of my girls a month ago. And I was like, what's, what's the plan for your birth? What's your birth plan? Have you thought about delayed cord clamping, this, 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 this? She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I was like, okay, (laughs) these are things too that your doctor's not talked to you about. And they should be, in my opinion, they should be talking about. Now I will say I had a doula and I want to bring this up really quickly because I I heard you on another podcast talk about this. And I think about, you know, hiring a doula, like you mentioned, it's cool. Some people don't want to spend money on this, okay, to each their own, right? I chose to have a doula for two reasons. Number one, my mom passed in 2017. I wanted oh. that support person. Yeah. My husband had no freaking clue. And she also kept, totally. him, she kept him in check in some ways, which it's, is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> but two, there's a couple really, really uh, big events that happen in your life, right? You get married. You hire a wedding mm-hmm. plan for that. Why wouldn't you hire a doula for bringing Great question. life into this world and have support, have your support person. Cause one of the things I loved that you said earlier was like, when she's freaking out, I look at her in the eyes and my eyes say, you're safe. You're okay. Yeah. Doctors and nurses aren't doing that. No, they can't. They don't have time. No, yeah. they say, uh, do you want drugs? Do you want my fentanyl real quick? And you're like, what? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Let me sign yeah. all these papers that I have no idea what they say because I'm pregnant trying to get this baby out of me. Exactly. I know. Yeah. And you know, like I am not against Western medicine, but what I love is sharing some statistics. 
which I will share right now. Yes. <clears throat> okay. So <clears throat> this was an amazing study that was done in 2017 and it compared 17,000 home births or intended home births versus America hospital birth system. Okay. So 17,000 is a lot. That's a really good size for a study. So 89% of the births were completed at home. So out of 17,000 intended home births in the study, 89 were completed at home. 89% was completed at home. That is insanely high, right? Mm -hmm. So when you, that alone should make most people be like, wait, what? Like, they're all good. Like they just were born and like they're at home. Like that's insane. Right. That's a huge number. Okay. 93% vaginal birth rate, meaning, uh, you know, of the births that then transferred to the hospital, still 93% of these 17,000 women gave birth vaginally which then tells us that this study out of 17,000 women had a 7% C-section rate. Okay. WHO, which I don't like believe a lot of the things they say all the time necessarily, but this one I happen to agree with. They say that for a first world country, a cesarean rate of under 10% is considered healthy and normal, meaning there is medical need for C-section sometimes, right? I was just out of birth last week. That was a C-section. It was a birth center transfer to C-section. And I, I actually believe that that was a medically necessary procedure. Oftentimes, you know, there are complications that happen, preeclampsia, whatever, you know, gestational diabetes. And, and not saying you couldn't try for vaginal delivery with those conditions either. It's just sometimes it is medically necessary to have a C-section. So this is an incredibly important statistic. Uh, and again, this study was in 2021, 17,000 women, 7% C-section rate. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. America right now has a 33% C-section rate. Gosh. Out of all hospital births, we are at 33%. That's the third. That's <laughs> a third. For people who want to wrap your head around that. People. One in three people, yep. So that is just as insane to me, like meaning, and this is what I, this is what I make of this, these statistics, um, a lot, most of the C-sections that happen in America are medically unnecessary. Here are some examples, twins. They automatically just say, oh, C-section, you got twins. What, what, what if both babies are head down? Why can't I deliver my babies? You know, doctors are just uncomfortable with that because it's slightly riskier. I don't really know why. If they're both in a good position. Breach babies, butt down or feet down babies. Now, feet down baby, I would say probably a good idea to do a C-section. A butt down baby is a slightly different position, obviously. Doesn't mean it's necessarily higher risk. You have to understand the skill of delivering breech babies. And they don't teach that in medical school anymore. That's insane. I know. So they just do C-sections. You know who learns how to do breach? Midwives. Mm -hmm. Did you know that's illegal in many states for midwives to catch breech babies? Illegal. What? Yes. California, it's illegal for midwives 
to catch breech babies, but they're trained in it. I mean, like, and, and also you can do a lot of manipulation that they don't usually do in the hospital to get baby to right. move. Right. So other m- medically unnecessary. Okay. You're 41 weeks. Mm-hmm. Your post date, we need to induce you. Well, okay, but my baby's not ready to come out. So, well, you know what? You're 41 weeks. Better safe than sorry. You don't want your baby to be stillborn, do you? Like they'll say I shit like that. that. I know. And and then you know, with induction comes a lot of risk. Comes cascade of intervention. Oftentimes with pitocin, baby goes into fetal distress. They say, oh, baby's in distress. Let's we got a C-section now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, uh. You did this to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you did this to me. Yes. Oh my God. So it's like, it's crazy. And those statistics are so valuable to me. And like, share. I, I remember this woman was like, Can you please talk to my husband with me? She's a doula client of mine here. She's like, He is so afraid of an out of hospital mm-hmm. birth. And I was like, Okay, yeah, let's go. I, I'm reading him these statistics. And it was like, his brain was like, <laughs> cannot comprehend you know because he like heard it he got it but he didn't want to believe it you know mm-hmm. um yeah. and it's just like that it's just kind of like this is why i advocate for out of hospital care well and i think it's very true what you said earlier you know again in a different podcast is we're just conditioned to believe that this is the way we do things right? We're conditioned to believe that once we have a pregnancy test, we call the doctor, we go in, we get this scan, we get this scan, we get this blood work, we do this, we do this, right? I got super sick after that gestational diabetes sugary shit, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I think Beck and I both. Yeah, I got such a bad headache. I got like nauseous. It, oh. yeah. We just don't eat that I literally that can't believe people, they give that to people still. I know. Yeah. I know. And so it's like looking back just even <clears throat> at my journey and thinking like, man, I wish I would have known better because maybe I would have said, no, I don't want to be induced because that was the cascade. It was for sure the Pitocin mm-hmm. that induced uh, the preeclampsia and all these things. And it's like, what would have happened if I would have said, let's just wait it out a little bit longer? Baby was fine. Baby was safe. The only thing I think they said is that his heart rate was starting to drop a little bit, but then I was like the bigger concern. So, okay, in that situation, medically necessary, but going back to what you just said, it brings, it's like a cascade effect. If you didn't do this, if you just let the baby come when the baby wants to come, as we did many, 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 many years ago for many, many years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Yeah. So- Share a little bit about just like what you're seeing. I'd love if you wouldn't mind touching on COVID and all of the stuff. Because we have a lot of clients. We have friends that are nurses in hospitals and pediatric units that are telling us things have gotten not good. Drastically changed. Like are they prenatal labor delivery? I have a labor and delivery nurse that I'm a friend with and... Can you give an example of um, what's not good? Higher stillborn rates, oh, okay. higher um, death rates for baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I think they're, are there, I, haven't, I haven't been told anything around like moms, but I've just seen more of an impact on the baby um, yeah. and the health of the baby. Yeah, I had another question. And are these women who had had COVID or gotten vaccinated? Kind of all over the place. All, all yeah. over the place. Because that's kind of what I'm hearing too. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of all over the place because that's my first question, right? Vaccinated, yeah. not vaccinated, had COVID, didn't have COVID. Um, just speaking from one of my clients who is a labor and delivery nurse, basically what she was seeing is they are at a little bit higher than double in terms of deaths for the babies, either stillborn or wow. shortly after birth. So just curious, right? This is only one person that I know in one small town. Becca knows one person in another place. But what have you seen across the board? Have we seen an increase in death rates? 
Or have we also seen maybe an increase in people saying, hey, I want to do this at home because I don't want to go to the hospital right now. Huge increase in home births. Yeah. From what I've heard. And, and that's again, where my like (laughs) Instagram rage has, I think helped (laughs) like stay the hell away from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like if you can afford to go the home birth route, do it. Like, yeah. Forget about the fear. Don't worry about it. Like, trust me, it's good. Um, So I remember like when it first happened and they weren't allowing like husbands in, you know, like they weren't allowing partners in, like people would text me and be like, who do like what midwife do I talk to like and this is when I was still in LA I text my midwives are you taking last minute doula clients they're like yeah but we're adding a thousand bucks on top of our normal I was like good (laughs) you should and then you know like my friend's like I can't afford that I'm like shit you really don't want your husband like what I mean obviously it's a lot of money but at the same time it's like that was a crazy situation and Mm -hmm. obviously that was extremely high stress and you know this was right at the beginning so since that point, midwives have been very busy, which is incredible. Like, again, what a blessing in disguise. Um, I have, I'll say one thing about the, the early deaths, like not stillborn, but like new infant deaths. Like I have to, I, this is my hunch. I have feel like a lot of that has to do with the separation and babies being in the NICU with their parents not able to go see them. Yeah. Um, and they don't get that skin to skin. They don't get nursing. They don't get that l- real temperature regulation. Mm-hmm. So when you have baby on your chest, you guys regulate each other's temperatures. Like, do you guys just like feel safe with your baby on your chest? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like all my, like my daughter and I are extremely attached to still, she's 20 months. She's still nursing. And I just feel like my body goes into down regulated state when she is on me. Like I just feel much more chill. And I feel like that is uh, completely by design, right? You, and your baby feels the same. So if your baby's nervous system is not yet regulated immediately postpartum, and then all of a sudden there's like sirens flashing because something's going on and they whips, they rip them out of the mom's arms, take them to the NICU. What if the mom has COVID? Everyone fucking had COVID. You know, you get a mm-hmm. PCR test. Literally everyone had COVID for a year um, and you don't get to see your baby. That's horrible. Like that is horrifying to me. And <clears throat> that impacts tiny bodies a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, are NICUs wonderful? Sometimes, uh, of course, it it saves lives. Absolutely. But there was way too much separation. Yeah. During the situation. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think the other hard thing with kind of what we're talking around around like intervention and all of this is like, I think of kind of a chicken and the egg because OBGYNs, I believe they were, but I think they still are the most the most sued doctors. Um, Oh yeah, I believe that. Like by far. Um, And so is it a, they're doing more interventions to try to prevent, you know, deaths or whatever, you know, whatever logic you want to use, or are they the most sued because there's so much intervention and because this is, you know, things are happening that shouldn't be happening. Um, So would love for you to talk a little bit around kind of the drugs used in pregnancy um, and in childbirth, sorry, in particular, Um, because I, I, you know, I follow you and there's some crazy stories 
that I've seen that I've heard around like mm-hmm. mom, oh, yeah, I remember you yeah mom a mom was literally asleep she didn't know she gave birth to her child and the, the only reason the nurse came in and found the baby birthed in her bed was because of the heart monitor stopped going yeah. like because she that was been, an insane <clears throat> story that was, I mean like very you know insane rare obviously I'm sure yeah um <clears throat> But yeah, just the Pitocin, the epidural, you know, again, not shaming anyone. Like I had both in both of my pregnancies, Um, but just like information, be informed. Okay. So here's an interesting fact. Now we use drugs off label all the time in America, right? Like we know like, oh, we use this, even though it's not, you know, FDA approved for this, but we use it for that. Mm -hmm. That happens, you know, and, and I'll talk to doctors and they'll be like, yeah, that's like, that's part of being a doctor is using your judgment to prescribe medication and recommend medication. So I'm not like, I hate the FDA. I'm just going to say, we all know that (laughs) I think it's totally whack, but what's most people use it as a guideline. Okay. So most people see the FDA love FDA approval, want that for whatever. uh, And then they go have a hospital birth and they say, Oh my, I'm getting induced. Okay, cool. Why? Well, in 41 weeks. Okay. What's who, what are they going to use to induce you? Pitocin. Well, did you know that Pitocin is not FDA approved for non-medical induction? So a medical induction, a medical necessary, a medically necessary induction would be like preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, some diagnosis. Okay. Your late, your due date passed is not a medically necessary induction. Like that's not, there's no diagnosis. Post date is not a diagnosis. Nothing, nothing is wrong, right? So Pitocin is not FDA approved for that. And it is used all the time for that. Yeah. All the time. So again, I don't care about FDA approval or not, but for most people who do, like they don't know that. They would be like, if they knew that, wait, why are you using Pitocin? We know that Pitocin is extremely hard on mom and baby. And it often puts baby into distress. Like why were we, they're chilling in here. They're cooking. Like what's wrong? Why do we need to use Pitocin on my body? Like that seems insane, you know? And they're gonna be like, oh no, we do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, I get that, but why, you know? Um, There are lots of deaths linked to Pitocin, maternal deaths. Mm. Um, There's a, what movie was it? I'm not going to be able to remember it, but, um, you know, a documentary I watched that was just like all of these women, like they had like a quilt, you know, all these women died in childbirth. Everything was perfect. I mean, perfect pregnancy. And then they used Pitocin for whatever reason. And they died in childbirth. Like what? That doesn't just happen. We watched that. My husband and I watched that after my C-section and he was was like, like, please say you didn't watch it before you came. No, no. We watched it after because he was also like, WTF you had a perfect pregnancy nothing was ever wrong your blood pressure I've never had blood pressure issues left the Mm -hmm. hospital with blood pressure medication and I dropped 18 pounds of fluid in three days also didn't get to see my baby for what was it 16 hours had him at 10 o'clock Friday met him at four o'clock on Saturday something like that two o'clock I couldn't leave my room because I was so swollen my legs were huge anyways this isn't about me so we watched that documentary and it was awesome. I'm not going to also remember the name of it, but I will try to figure it out and put it in the show notes yeah. for everybody listening because it was a really good documentary. I'll try to remember too. Yeah. So it's like, there is a time and a place for medication. Should morphine and fentanyl be involved in birth? No, <laughs> that, that story you were talking about was 
a woman was given morphine and it put literally put her out like she was out and yeah the baby just came out because she just needed to she needed to relax yeah but that um, obviously is not the route that <laughs> might be yeah. recommended what's crazy is like they say don't do drugs don't drink don't smoke weed when you're pregnant and then they give you morphine fentanyl you're like wait what <laughs> You're literally putting opioids into my bloodstream. My baby's in there. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think there. that your baby's going to get if through that placenta? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, there was Baby's like study. high when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why a lot. I mean, yes, that is. Yes. Yeah. And they did a study on babies. And this is good news. You know, they did a study on babies comparing APGAR scores for unmedicated versus uh, like fentanyl use babies. And there was no significant difference on APGAR scores, which is good. Like that is a good thing. Um, So it's like, you're not killing your baby by taking fentanyl or morphine, obviously, but why, why still, why you don't need that in your system? Your baby doesn't need that in their system. It is in their system because it's not significantly negatively impacting their transition into the outside world. I, why though? (laughs) Right. An epidural, you know, is slightly different. They do use fentanyl with epidurals. And for anyone listening, you can request, you have to request no fentanyl, basically, if you get an epidural. And they don't tell you that, that there's no informed consent when it comes to epidurals and opioids that go along with it. But basically an epidural is a spinal tap. Um, You don't know, like it's a nerve block. So it's not like, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not like a, drugs aren't going into your bloodstream type of thing necessarily like through the placenta. Um, but the fentanyl does. So yeah, epidural necessary sometimes. And obviously, I mean, this is part of these statistics too, is, um, that same study, 79% of women in America use epidurals. Like it's super duper common. Um, but women just aren't informed of the risks of epidural in prenatal. Like they'll tell you what's so interesting is they'll tell you, like when they're about to administer it, they'll say like, just FYI, like it's, it's a high risk to be on an epidural for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. basically insinuating if you're on this for more than 24 hours or 30 hours, like you will have to have a C-section. And that is what does have to happen because you having a catheter in your spine mm-hmm. is exposure, more risk of exposure to infection. Mm-hmm. That is a real risk. They don't tell you that in your prenatal appointments. They don't try to convince you to not do an epidural, you know? They're yeah. just like, yeah, epidural, cool. You I've know, also known women... several people that have had um, back problems after having yeah. epidurals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where's that the informed consent problem. on that? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure no that there can't, care. there can't be a, like, I bet that there's no ability to directly correlate in research those two things. For sure. You know, and, and they, they're not going to recommend you to chiropractors because chiropractors are holistic. Holistic. I know. And quacks. Yeah. If you are a doctor, but if you have back pain post epidural, number one thing you should do is go get chiropractic care. Mm-hmm. That can really help. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the medications are gnarly and they're like, we've become so accustomed to medicalizing literally everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like, but weirdly not COVID. no treatment <laughs> plan for COVID in America. So crazy. Oh, another podcast, another day. Oh, so crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. And I think the last thing that I would love for you to kind of touch on a little bit is two, twofold. One, 
why I, I think a lot of women experience higher amounts of pain in the hospital versus home and like the high pressure situation of hospitals, the like everything's white, sterile. Like it, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's not a comforting situation. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yes, you have the comfort of having doctors right outside that can quickly intervene if necessary. Um, but why I think a lot of women fear those pains and the pain it can, Pitocin obviously makes contractions way worse oh, yeah. Um, yeah. versus like the methods of a home birth make it, a little bit more bearable to an extent, mm-hmm. like, be, oh, yeah. you know, water, like birthing and all these things. And, you know, being in a comfort of your bed and like all of that. And then the support afterwards, because I yes. think that's the other thing that's just like, for me, I wanted to get out of the hospital as fast as possible. I was like, right. get me out of here. I just want to be home. I want to be with the baby at home. Like I want people to stop coming in and taking, <sighs> scanning my freaking wristband and right. asking if I want more Medicaid. Like I just want to be home. And so can you talk a little bit around like that aspect and postpartum, yeah. what it's like with a home birth yes. versus. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Yeah. So yeah, when you're home, like you've created your home to be your space, Right. You have your nice things that you like, you know, like I'm in my office right now. I got pink pillows from my white couch. I like that. It makes me happy. You know, (laughs) I love my couch and it's comfortable and I have my yard and, you know, I'm lucky that I have a lot of space here. And, um, and when I lived in LA, we had a little yard and we had our, the comforts of our home. We had our refrigerator that was full of food. We had my shower, my tub and, I, for me, why home birth was really the only option. People are like, what about a birth center? And I'm like, well, first of all, there's no difference between a birth center and home medically. They're both non-medical, like you're not at a hospital. So why would I leave my house to go to another place? That's not a hospital. Like I'm just going to stay home. Right. For me, it was, that's, that was the most awesome part. Like the midwife and the doula came to me. I didn't have to leave my house. So there was never any disruption with my like the state of my nervous system. And I had done a lot of work in pregnancy, really just like breath work and, and long history of athletics and fitness to where I had a high tolerance or discomfort. Let's put it that way. Um, which again is not the norm, which we'll talk about in a sec, but like there was no disruption. I was in the zone. I was doing my thing. Yes. Did it hurt? Uh, yeah. <laughs> labor is hard and it hurts. And there was pain. There was intensity, but in between contractions, I was in my house. It was morning. The sun was coming up. I was with my husband, you know, like he did his thing. He was with me and I was just on my bed and or on my couch. And I was super comfortable in between being uncomfortable during contractions. Right. (laughs) And, um, It's the most common thing that when women go to the hospital, first of all, almost all of them go too early. Almost all women go way too early because no one can prepare you for the pain of labor. So you're like, oh shit, this hurts. Let's go. You get to the hospital and they're like, you're three centimeters. You can go home or you can just stay. They're like, I don't want to go home. Let's just get this going. You know, let's just stay. You know, it'll go quick. Well, once you have a disruption from your safe, cozy space at home to the lights, the beeps, the questions, the 1 million questions they ask you, the constant just check-ins, like you guys mentioned, every time I go to a hospital, I'm so irritated. I'm like, can you just fucking leave her alone? (laughs) 
you have her monitor on your screen over there. Just stay over there. Like, stop coming in here, you know? Like, she's fine. Um, and it's just not your space. The bed is uncomfortable. Your husband's clearly uncomfortable because that couch is plastic mm-hmm. and there's no food. And with COVID, you can't leave your room or someone has to bring you food or you can't leave the hospital to go get food. And if you get there too early, your nervous system definitely has a harder time settling into that safe space you created in your head when you were at home, right? So it's when you're in that mental state of like, get me out of here, right? It's hard for your whole body to relax. And unless you're like a Jedi and you can just kind of close your, or you have an incredible team at the hospital, like that really does make a difference having a doula and having like amazing nurses, you know, and those do totally exist, but by and large, like you're not comfortable in a hospital room when you're not comfortable, you have a heightened sense of discomfort Mm -hmm. all around. So you don't want, and the the drugs are right there. (laughs) You're going to say yes, if they offer them to you, you know? Like I would, if I was in a hospital and I was in the pain I was in, I would have been like, hell yeah, let's do that epidural right now. Like this sucks, you know? But when I was at home, that wasn't an option. I actually really liked that because I knew I could handle it. But if the temptation was there for me, I knew I would have been like, yeah, give me the drugs, you know? Um, So it's definitely a heightened state of discomfort when you are out of your comfort zone. Like that's just, that just makes sense. Right. Um, And like we talk about this a lot in my birth education class, I go through a whole nervous system day. Like one of my classes is all about the nervous system, all about downregulating your nervous system, all about understanding how to get yourself out of fight or flight or shock, um, less shock, more fight or flight. And really into that downregulated state that you need to be in if you want a vaginal birth, because if you're if you're freaking out, your service is going to be like, we're not safe. Staying tight. <laughs> we are not opening. This is not a safe environment. And that is very, very real the connection. Like your, your cervix is directly impacted by the state of your nervous system. No wonder we have such a high C-section, right? Mm-hmm. We're just putting women into stress states in the hospital, but mm-hmm. you know, medicalizing everything. It's like, Oh, Oh, the heart rate. And then you're like, Oh my God, my baby. Right. And then you're just like out of alignment and your nervous system is like, we are not safe. We're staying closed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a shame that our hospital system is not a place of TLC anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not. And again, it's not saying that individuals aren't loving and caring like nurses. I, of course they are, mm-hmm. but there we have such high volume we are stressed the hell out because of COVID. Uh, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> gas is super expensive. Everyone's stressed out. I know. I had uh, to wait like a day and a half. I was supposed to be induced at 7 a.m. I think like, or 7 p.m. at night, which I also hate. Like bring me in in the middle yeah. of the night and then I have to stay awake all night. Um, so bad. But they didn't have beds. It was so packed. People were wow. staying longer. I, I got pushed back a day and a half of my induction. Wow. And so it was just, you know, and I had amazing, amazing nurses. I love my OBGYN group, but still 
it's just not a good environment. It's just you get in no. there and you're just your heart rate's like boom, 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 boom. Like as soon as you get in and it doesn't calm down because then they're like no. Tosin. And then it's just it is just a lot. You then know, they don't let you eat. Oh, I totally ate. I told I my nurses right. too. Yeah, I good, was like, good. I brought you guys snack bags and I'm eating snacks. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> good. Cool. Good for you. <laughs> I brought a bunch yeah. of food too. I just kept it in my yeah. my bag like, yeah screw you guys telling me that i can't eat for 12 hours before no. for the, a <laughs> right. huge it's... athletic event the main the main athletic event of a female's life yeah like don't yeah, feel for, no don't sense. feel it's cool no wonder people get exhausted during childbirth and yeah. then have to get c-sections because we can't eat like yeah it's so insane anyway yeah and like when you're at home you know it's it is a night and day difference, a night and day difference. I mean, it is amazing. It's yeah. the most amazing thing ever because as soon as the baby's born, we'll talk about postpartum right now. As soon as the baby's born, you know, obviously they, they, they don't just say, yay, the baby's here and then just like leave. Right. <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of process to make sure there's no hemorrhage. Baby's good. You know, they do all the things to assess mom and baby. Um, they do an Avgar score. They, obviously do resuscitation if it's needed, breaths if needed. Um, They are hands-on if needed, but the baby doesn't leave your chest. Baby stays on mom the whole time. So that's huge. Um, Obviously, if the midwife, you know, mom's in a position, maybe she's in the tub and baby needs immediate, you know, Mm -hmm. care, the midwife will take the baby. But like by and large, baby stays on mom. Um, And... Once the placenta is out, like for me, my second was born in, in the tub. And once the placenta was out, I stood up myself. Like I had an amazing second birth. I stood up by myself. I stepped out of the tub by myself. I walked over to my room. I got in bed by myself. Like I wasn't unable to move. I had full function when you give birth and you're unmedicated, you have like a revival of energy. Like it is just a, it is like a release of oxytocin and you're just like high on life. And, um, you know, I got in bed, my doula made me a plate of food, which was weird for my second. Cause it was two in the morning. I was like, I'm not hungry, but I know I need to eat right now. <laughs> it was like really uncomfortable, but whatever. She brought me food to my bed. I still have the baby on me. I'm eating. My husband's like falling asleep because it was three in the morning. And they're just, they're out. They left the room. They left me and my husband in the room by ourselves. And for like that first hour, we had the golden hour, practice nursing, you know, just kind of like coming down off the high. And I remember they gave us that hour. They come in, they do her weight, measure her and all that stuff and check me. And my husband looks at me and he goes, why are they still here? <laughs> and I was like, you need to like make sure we're good before they go. Why did they do that right after the baby was born? I'm like, it's the golden hour. Like they give us time alone. He's like, I'm so tired. <laughs> Classic second baby. He's like, what are they still doing here? Can they just leave? <laughs> um, oh, that's great. Yeah. But they you know, they check everything. She was perfect. Like my first birth, my son needed a little bit of assistance, immediate postpartum. He was like having trouble transitioning. Like he wasn't breathing perfect right away. Mm -hmm. Um, so with her, she was perfect. And, um, yeah, they, she was born at one 45 in the morning. They probably left at like three 30, three or three 30. And I mean, no one touched me during labor. I had one cervical check, but no one touched me. Not even my husband. I was like, no one. <laughs> and maybe my husband held me for like a few contractions until I got in the tub. 
And, um, and then the next day, the midwife came back at like two in the afternoon, weighed her again, helped us like talk it through, you know, really just like there to listen and to offer anything that might come up. And, um, and they come again, come to your house, then three weeks postpartum. And this was just my midwife. They do four postpartum visits. Some do more three weeks postpartum. She came to my house again, weight check, breastfeeding check, emotional check-in talking through the birth and how's everything doing? How are you guys doing? You know, whatever, whatever. Then I went back. So they come back the next day. They did three weeks, maybe a month checkup, like a week later, maybe. And then I went back for my six week checkup. So I had four checkups with my midwives. I finally, for the final two, I went into the office and the first two, they came to me. I know some midwives who do, like I said, six postpartum visits. Like that is insane. Like there is none of that in America. Now we have 99% of women birthing in hospitals and they get one postpartum checkup at six weeks, Yep. regardless of the birth, C-section or vaginal delivery. And it's just like, are you kidding me? I know. It's such a disservice. It, it's such it a disservice to women. Beyond. It is beyond. And a baby. And that's, and that's another reason why I cannot recommend midwifery care more highly because the TLC you really get postpartum is incredible. And what was so great is like you have your midwife's phone number. You can text them and they will text you back if anything comes up. So you don't need to go to your pediatrician if some, if you think something's wrong. Like, hey, the baby's making these weird noises. What does that mean? And they're like, that's that's a baby. They make those noises, you know? You don't, but as a new parent, you might be like, oh my God, what what is this? You know, and you yeah. can just go to the doctor and there's a whole thing. And then they weigh your baby and their baby doesn't weigh enough. We need to give you formula right now. And it's just, again, cascade of interventions at the pediatrician's office potentially. And you have a midwife, they're there for you. They'll recommend a lactation conser- consultant who aligns with you. And, and they're constantly checking in on you and making sure you're okay. The client I had last week who ended up having a C-section, um, you know, she had midwifery care. Her whole practice was just this unbelievable difference prenatally also because all your meetings are like 30 to 60 minutes and you're really getting to know your midwife. It's not just like seven minute weight mm-hmm. check ultrasound. See you later with your yeah. OB. It's like a lot of informed consent, a lot of education, a lot of information, a lot of emotional check-ins. Um and so she had, unfortunately had a C-section, but she'll still get that postpartum care with her midwife, which is incredible, especially post-C-section, you yeah, know, I love that. there's someone there to be like, Hey, you didn't do anything wrong. Like mm-hmm. this wasn't a fail. You, you did everything right. You know, yeah. and just that constant care is massively different That's than our standard care. That's it amazing. is amazing. Yeah. I love this. Thank you so much for you're welcome educating our population um, our listeners yeah. i think we might need to do another part at some point in the future because i feel like there's so much yeah. still to talk yeah about. we can talk about food um, and fitness yes food and fitness and all of those things yes um so can you let people know where to find you and we'll yes. put it all in the show notes yes i am primarily on instagram at emily stanwick that's w-y-c-k i'm super shadow banned right now so you have to type in my <laughs> whole name <laughs> And yeah, that's where I'm at these days. <laughs> I haven't been seeing your stories as much. I've noticed. I'm like, it's so you annoying. Used I'm to trying to up. like, I'm trying to handle that right now. Um, <laughs> it's great. My website is emilystanwick.com. And you, it, my website is very basic, but you can read about the offerings I have there. I do consultations, 
So you can do consultations with me through the website and take my birth education class, which is happening again on Zoom in July. And then I start my doula training course in like two weeks. So that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.